Well, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in John chapter 19? Gospel of John chapter 19, verse 25 through verse 27 is where we'll be together in God's word this morning. Uh, as was mentioned, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here, and thankful to be in God's word with you this morning. Uh, we've been in a sermon series titled Seven Last Words. We are looking at the last statements of Jesus uh, when he was on the cross. Uh, we are in this series in the season of Lent, uh, a time of reflection and repentance, a time of preparation as we look forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It feels fitting uh, to slow down and behold the, the greatest sacrifice in history on behalf of humankind. This morning, we will look at third saying uh, recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, this statement might seem out of place uh, from the rest of the statements, but I would invite you to consider with me how uh, even on the cross, Jesus has regard for those whom he loves. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read John chapter 19, verse 25 through verse 27. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom, disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, thank you that you give us your word. That your word is true and trustworthy. Lord, I thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you speak. And so, Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Oh, may the words in my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, it is not easy to look at death. Uh, what's happening on the cross is not an attractive scene. Jesus has been crucified. He's been lynched by a mob that is so full of hatred toward him that they want him to receive the capital punishment for his blasphemy of claiming to be God. Jesus' disciples have scattered. Peter has denied him. Can you picture the scene? He has been beaten with a whip that has been infused with metal and bone. The flesh on his body is torn to ribbons. A crown of thorns has been placed upon his head. Blood is streaming down. He has been stripped naked, publicly humiliated. He's been kept awake all night, arrested and marched from judgment hall to judgment hall, to Caiaphas, the high priest, to Sanhedrin, to Pontius Pilate, to King Herod. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. 
The pressure of the moment is so dark and so heavy that the Bible says that Jesus was sweating drops of blood as he prepared for this moment. He's been nailed in his hands, nailed in his feet. Can you picture it? Soldiers have gathered at the foot of the cross and they're gambling for his clothes. He has been hanging there for hours until he dies. The pain of crucifixion is uniquely horrific. The pain is so unique that it has its own descriptive word, excruciating, which comes from the Latin phrase, out of the cross. It's excruciating to be publicly exposed. It is excruciating to be pinned to a wooden plank through your hands and feet. It is excruciating hanging in such a way that you die by suffocation before blood loss. The only way that you could get a gasp of air is if you pulled on your nail-pierced hands and feet and grab a puff of air and then slump back down into asphyxiation. Each time you pull on the wounds, you lose that much more energy and strength until the end. Jesus did that for us and because of us. As the songwriter says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It was the custom of this sentencing that criminals would be crucified alone. But here at the foot of the cross, in this ugly scene, we see a few women and one of Jesus' disciples. We see this beloved disciple who most scholars believe is the gospel writer John and Jesus' mother, Mary. And it is here that we see in this scene one of Jesus' last words. It's through this, this saying that we see the reach of God's care for those whom he loves. Jesus is beaten and bloodied. He can barely catch his breath, yet he looks out and he sees his mother and this disciple. He utters the words, likely through shallow breath, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. What's going on here? Verse 26 says, Jesus saw his mother. Now picture it. Jesus has been crucified. He's battered and bruised. He's dehydrated and exhausted. He's been kept up all night long. His skin is torn. His beard has been plucked from his face. He's been pierced in his hands, pierced in his feet, pierced in his head. Blood is streaming down from his body as he is hanging on this symbol of condemnation and cursing. And on top of all of that, he has taken on to himself the immense impossibility possible burden of our sin, sickness, and death. He is bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows, as the prophet Isaiah says. He is at the doorway of death. It's in the midst of all of that that he sees his mother. Now, if there was ever a time for Jesus to just focus on what he's got going on <laughs> and what he needs, it would be in this moment but, but even in the height of this brutality, Jesus sees. 
He cares. I believe Jesus in this moment is showing something important about the cross and what it addresses. Uh, He's showing that the cross addresses the horizontal with the vertical. It addresses restoration with redemption. And it addresses togetherness with separateness. The cross addresses the horizontal with the vertical. On the cross, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on his head. And by his wounds, we are healed. Amen? That is the vertical nature of the cross. We are reconciled to God. We are no longer cut off from him. We have peace with him. We are made alive in him. And also, the power of the cross does not stop there. On the cross, God made it so that we could pass from darkness into his marvelous light. He delivered us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. And in the midst of that, he saw his mother. He saw her vulnerability. He, he saw her marginalization. He, he didn't just say to himself, ooh, at least her soul is saved. He, he was still concerned about her life and how she would be treated. He was concerned about the horizontal aspects of her life. Many scholars believe that Joseph, her husband, was dead. That's why we don't see much about him. That's why it's so important that his mother is covered. She was a widow. That the law was very clear about caring for widows because they were among the most marginalized in society. And Jesus looks at his mother and sees that she is not covered. And he does not settle for caring just for her soul. He wants to care for her life. I love that Jesus didn't just drop down from heaven and hop right on the cross. He lived a life. He he modeled how we are to live horizontally, how we are to live towards one another, this cruciform life. He showed us not only what it means to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the vertical, but he also wanted to show us how to love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal. That's what the cross addresses. And we miss something profoundly important about the cruciform life if we just spend our days thinking in terms of how to relate to God and not how we relate to each other. Christ died so that we could love him as we should, and in turn, we love others as we should. And and so Jesus wants his mother and this disciple to experience care. Secondly, the cross addresses restoration with redemption. Uh, It it almost seems silly to me that Jesus is making this gesture. Uh, I mean, Jesus, you're nailed to a cross. Uh, you, You are accomplishing the redemption of the world. I don't think anyone is concerned about where Mary is going to live in this moment. I doubt even Mary or John are thinking right now, hey, before you do that, I know you got stuff going on, but we really need to figure out this housing situation before you go. And Jesus could have taken care of that after the resurrection even. He certainly took care of a lot of things after that. Why why take care of this on the cross? It's interesting that uh, Mary 
is only mentioned twice in all of John's gospel. But we only see Jesus interacting with Mary here in chapter 19 and in chapter 2 at the wedding in Canaan. We only see Mary at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end of Jesus' ministry. And there's so much that could be said about this bookend. But one thing worth noting in the bookend is that they both show Jesus bringing restoration. In John chapter 2, they're, they're at a party and, and the wine runs out. And Mary comes to Jesus about it. And how does he reply? He says, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then he incidentally turns the water into wine, the best wine people ever had. I wish I could have a taste. But this is the beginning of his ministry. And he wasn't simply doing that because he cared so much about the party or he cared so much about his mother's reputation as a party host. But Jesus was demonstrating his power to bring restoration. When something is out of order, he cares enough and has the power to bring it back into order. And now here at the end, Jesus' hour has come. Redemption in this world has been revealed. And once again, something is out of order. With redemption, he restores. He says again, woman, behold your son. Woman, I still want to bring things back into order. I want to see restoration. You are vulnerable and I want you to be covered. But there's also restoration for John, the beloved disciple. If you're reading the crucifixion story from beginning to end, one thing is obvious. All of Jesus' disciples dipped out on him. Uh, Jesus was arrested alone. He was beaten alone. He was crucified alone. And of course, we see in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26 that, that this is prophecy fulfillment. Uh, Jesus even told the disciples, yeah, all of y'all are going to fall away. And sure enough, they scattered. And here we are, John chapter 19, verse 27. This disciple is at the foot of the cross. Peter needed to be restored, but really all of them needed to be restored as they abandoned Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't berate him. He doesn't look at him and say, where you been? Oh, now you want to show up after everything's already done. Oh, okay. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't berate the disciple for abandoning him at the hour of his greatest need. He doesn't shame him for his cowardice or betrayal. But he loves him. You are beloved. He restores him by saying, my mother is coming to live with you. He didn't miss a beat. Even after this man's great failure, Jesus loves him and restores him. Jesus wants to bring everything out of order back into order. And the cross demonstrates his power to do so. As Ephesians 1 says, in the fullness of time, he's putting everything back together in heaven and on earth. In this seemingly insignificant moment, we see the cross addressing restoration. What in your life feels out of order? 
maybe you can relate to John, uh, where, where you have fallen away. In the moment where you should be faithful, you've actually been faithless. There is no added barrier for you at the cross. Jesus is not standing with his arms folded full of disdain or exhaustion that you left him, but he has his arms open with a persistent invitation. Return to me and be restored. Maybe you can relate to Mary. Something in your life is out of order. You can feel the vulnerability. You can, you can feel how exposed you are unless the Lord steps in. And the danger of preaching the cross is that you can hear it as this wonderful religious pronouncement, but it doesn't have any relevance to the disordered aspects of your life. And we can come to church and, and hear about the cross and hear about this beautiful sacrifice, but we still feel this question of what does the cross have to do with my life? What does the cross have to do with my doctor visit? What does the cross have to do with my loneliness? What does the cross have to do with my heartache? What does the cross have to do with what I'm going to face outside these church doors? And I want you to hear me in saying God sees you too. God is our all in all. He is the joy and the strength of our lives. He, he moves all pain and misery and strife. He promises to keep us, never to leave us. And he never falls short of his word. What that means is that he still is the God of our weary years and the God of our silent tears. He promises that he will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8 tells us that if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gives us what we need to sustain us. So when I survey this wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I see this magnificent love. This love for us that is so amazing and divine. And in that love, he holds the power to bring both redemption and restoration. Come see at the foot of the cross. Lastly, the cross addresses togetherness with separateness. Jesus says, behold your son. Behold your mother. And then verse 27 ends by saying, from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Scholars know that the phrase here, it mirrors the prologue of John's gospel in chapter 1, verse 11, that says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In fact, in the original language Greek, verse 27 more accurately reads, from that hour, he received her to his own. Home isn't actually in the Greek. John is receiving Mary as his own. Jesus wanted them to be together. Not because Mary would have been utterly by herself. I mean, Mary had other children. John chapter 7 makes it clear that she had other sons. But Jesus is putting her with John because he wants her to be together in this distinct family. Again, John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Even though Mary was Jesus' mother, in this moment, he was concerned about God's child. 
John was his friend, but in this moment, he was concerned about bringing God's children together. The point here is that when God calls people to himself, he calls them to each other as much as he calls them to himself. We are the children of God. And when places like Romans 8 talk about how we've been adopted into the family of God, that is a statement about togetherness with each other as much as it is a statement about togetherness with God. One of my prayers for Christ Central Church is that when people encounter us, they they encounter this sense of a togetherness as family, that that people would feel the sense that we have received each other as we have received Christ. In a world that is full of strife, full of polarization, full of antagonism, full of just canceling here, there, and everywhere, it would be such a beautiful testament to the power of the cross if we would look at each other and say, I've received you as my own. But beyond your earthly concerns, I receive you. Jesus was clear in in chapter 13 of John. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, that you would love each other. Instead of pushing away, how can we receive one another? Knowing that the basis of that togetherness is that we are children of God. The the cross breaks down any barriers that threaten to separate us. That takes power. Power of the cross. The power of the cross means that you can find home here because we're at home in Christ. Behold your family. Behold your family. Simple statements that address so much. The cross addresses the interpersonal, horizontal aspects of our lives, even with the vertical. The cross addresses restoration with redemption. God wants to bring back to order everything out of order, even as he is conquering death. And the cross addresses togetherness with separateness. In Christ, we have a commitment to each other that goes beyond what is earthly. Behold... Behold, do you see as the Lord is seeing you? It is not easy to look at death. It's not easy to look at death, but death puts life in perspective. Years ago, while I was in seminary, uh, I worked as a hospital chaplain. Uh, During this time, I had the immense privilege uh, and honor to be with people at the most vulnerable moments uh, of their life. Uh, They were facing sickness and even death, and they let me pray with them and support them. Um, And honestly, I I know I was kind of awkward um, with them. I, I wasn't sure how to act because I never knew how much attention to give what they were dealing with. I remember meeting uh, a lady who was facing a terminal illness, and she put me at ease, which feels kind of counterintuitive given the situation, but uh, she, she put me at ease. You know, it, it was what it was, and she, it was because she talked about her illness openly and boldly because she was convinced that it wasn't going to restrict her from living um, life to the full, even if she had to reimagine what fullness meant as she was confined to a hospital bed. 
And I remember visiting uh, with her and, and, and seeing stacks of papers on the table uh, next to her bed. And uh, most of them were, were just piles of letters that she was writing. Uh, she was spending her days, among other things, writing letters to people to make sure that they knew how much she loved them. And she intentionally would send letters to people that she had had strife with. Uh, she, she had a sister that she hadn't spoken to in 15 years, sent her a letter. Uh, she wrote a letter to her neighbor that she had a dispute with about where the dividing line of their property was because she wanted to build a fence. Uh, they got a letter. Uh, she was doing what, what many people do uh, when they face death. She was getting her affairs in order. She wanted to close out her life well. And in that moment, death was putting life into perspective. It is not easy to look at death, but it puts life in perspective. On the cross, Jesus said, behold, get some perspective. Jesus wants us to live in view of the power of the cross. He changed the world on that day, on that old rugged cross. And he died for us that we would live for him. His death puts our life into perspective. Love, so amazing, so divine. It demands our soul, our life, our all. Maybe so that we would behold the wondrous cross. And as we behold the cross, we would behold one another and receive this love, that we might give this love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you, uh, you do love us. You first loved us that we might love. Lord, thank you that you, you see us and you long for us to see and be seen with your eyes and your perspective. Would you help us to know what that means in light of what you have done on the cross? Lord, you are worthy. Help us to live as redeemed people in this family you have created. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.